Bonjour, hi, I'm Pascal Auclair. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. J'espère que cet enseignement vous sera aidant. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed. Vous pouvez me soutenir en cliquant sur le bouton sous ma photo. Your support is greatly appreciated. Merci. The way we uh, think of uh, happiness in the world is a lot um, around the satisfaction of uh, thirst. So we have a thirst for something and our, our happiness lies in the satisfaction of that, a thirst for something we want to get, some uh, way we want to be, uh, a way we want to be perceived, a way we want to perceive ourselves, uh, something we want to achieve. There is a thirst. It might be a grandiose, or it might be even uh, on a very small scale, just about a thirst for just a little bit more ease with the breath, just a little bit more of capacity to be uh, with this fear, a little bit more courage, a little uh, thirst for a little less confusion, thirst for this pain to uh, go away. For this joy to amplify, for this yogi to move to a different seat or breathe differently. Uh, so I just want to tell you that in the Buddhist uh, way of uh, perceiving or aiming for happiness, it's quite different, so it's better to tell you now than for you to find out at the very end of the retreat or 20 years down the road. <laughs> so in the Buddhist uh, way of seeing happiness is uh, through the absence of thirst, through non-thirst. And this, um, this quality of mind that we've already been talking some about, uh, this presence or mindfulness, is uh, the perfect expression of uh, non-thirst. It's both the perfect expression of it, the perfect, the perfect way to get to it, if we can talk like this. This presence and mindfulness, this, in French we say pleine conscience, full consciousness, fully conscious. It is said, by the way, that uh, a being who's awake, uh, that's one way that it's been presented, would have no more unconscious. Everything would be conscious in them. And so, um, 
It's said that uh, the people, the Arahant, the people who have uh, attained uh, maximum uh, clarity of mind, we could say, they still practice mindfulness. You would think, you know, like once you got it, you know, that you could let go of that one. But uh, it said it's uh, the most beautiful way to abide in, the, in life, actually the best strategy to meet life. Uh, it's a pleasant abiding, that's how it's described. And so both an expression of it and the means to get there. So I'd like to talk some more about this uh, tonight. All the different aspects of, um, actually the word in Pali is sati. That's how it's translated by mindfulness or presence of mind or meditative presence. And so this quality of mind um, is interested in reality, is not interested as we too often are into telling reality what it is. You know, like pushing thoughts and perceptions and proliferation onto a very little amount of data that we gather in a superficial way. Uh, it's interested in meeting, uh, receiving reality. So there's a big emphasis on uh, receptivity, listening. Do you hear a lot of effort in this? That's kind of the good news. There's not much effort needed in there. And uh, almost paradoxically, effort is mentioned a lot in the text, but right effort, wise effort. That effort is points more towards continuity. Even persistence, I'm kind of shy to say because there's, there's already maybe some, it's an ongoing uh, applying of the mind. And we've talked about this already today, about eating meditation, uh, walking meditation, and of course the sitting. But as the days go, uh, goes as you're here, the invitation is really to see how you can bring presence again and again, tend towards that. Not that you can actually achieve that, do this, this would be forceful. But as much as possible, tends, tend towards presence. And then the momentum will build by itself. There will be no need to actually make it. It's just about inclining. I was going to say the mind, but I, why I want to say the heart-mind. Inclining the heart-mind. The heart brings the aspect of... Uh, the beautiful aspect of courage and enthusiasm and uh, so inclining the heart mind uh, towards uh, 
presence again and again. Every time we remember this presence of mindfulness, um, because it is interested in what, in what is here, you see that already there's no thirst there because it's, whoops, another quality just popped in, it's contentment. When there is mindfulness, you'll see that uh, in its wake or with it, it brings the whole path, the whole uh, dharma and all these amazing qualities of mind that we uh, can develop as human beings. So one of them is the contentment, the strange new happiness of being with what is here. Not the regular happiness of being with what is fun and pleasant, but this much wider because suddenly it includes also what is not easy to bear because it rejoices in uh, the truth of what is actually happening here now. That really brings up the, uh, how do you say that, the odd of, uh, of uh, being uh, uh, happy, no? If you can also include what is uh, more difficult or disagreeable. And then it goes like way like this if you include everything that is neutral that we mostly uh, don't take notice of, which is, I think, some, I wouldn't, be surprised it would be in the 90% of our experience would be of the neutral, wouldn't stand out as like fun or horrible, you know, but just like a lot of what is happening here now, the air on your skin, the temperature, the movement of uh, belly, magic of a presence that can turn unnoticed things into what is the word that, am I right when I think of the word suchness suddenly there is this exactly this being here now like if we can tune into it, there's something exquisite in this I want to stop talking I always come back to this. There was an old uh, teacher of mine who would say, hey, we have never been here now before. And now, and now, completely new all the time. This is what mindfulness can do. It can uh, make what is ordinary just a bit extraordinary. So this uh, presence has no judgment in it. It doesn't take side. Uh, it doesn't have value judgment. This is much better. I would prefer to have an experience of 
this kind of mindfulness rather than this kind of mindfulness that I'm stuck in right now. You know, this kind of, uh, it's very tight in here, you know. Well, this is here. This is what's here. By the way, sati um, is also translated by the word remembering. And so, uh, what does it remember? I think of two main things that sati remembers. It remembers itself. Oh God, I had the intention of being present, but I was gone. I remember myself, presence, mindfulness. So that's what it does for us. And then, uh, oh, okay, pause. I have a little uh, funny little thing about uh, mindfulness uh, and titnat. I don't know if it's funny, but I like it because it's, uh, it happens in Quebec, where I come from. Do you guys know what is the, you know, in every state here, there's like something on the plate of the car, like on a, a little wording, yeah? Die or something somewhere, you know? <laughs> like live or die or something. <laughs> the happy state. And so in Quebec, it's je me souviens, I remember. And so Titnatan, when he comes to Quebec, he says he loves he loves that because when he's in the car and he sees a car in front and uh, he sees what's written, je me souviens, he says, I remember. I, rem I don't know what Quebecers remember, <laughs> but I know what I want to remember. I want to remember sati, to actually be present, come back, just here and now. And so it remembers itself. And the second thing that it remembers is what is like right in our face, but mostly forgotten all the time, which is the present. So, because sati cannot know anything else than what is here now. So if you say, oh, I was mindful of uh, what happened to me when I was a little girl, it just doesn't work. There's something a little bit off. You might, if there is tr true mindfulness, you would say, not just you would say, you would also experience that presently there are thoughts about uh, childhood. So do you see that uh, in a way what mindfulness does very cleverly is it removes from apparent reality, conventional reality, it goes in and removes what is true or ultimate reality. So if I'm sitting here thinking I'm such a piece of cake and I'm mindful of this, then it's going to take this, I'm such a this and that, and mindfulness is going to remove what's apparent, me being so like this or so like that, and it's going to remove the ultimate reality. What is the ultimate reality in this situation? There are thoughts. There is thinking that is happening. Very primary. This is really happening. The fact that I am a piece of this or a piece of that is not totally clear and it depends on who you ask and it depends when you ask them. It's very... But the fact that thinking is happening, that is 
true, like touching the ground. So in the presence of confusion, sati will bring back some sanity, some truth. Oh, there is contraction in the chest. By the way, emotions are okay in ultimate reality. They're, <laughs> they're in. <laughs> they made it in. Moods and emotions are... Uh, and they can be... And also, that's what mindfulness does with time. It deconstructs. It takes a concept, like uh, my mother, and it breaks it down into, oh, images, memories, feeling tone. Because there's no mother here right now. Is it Joseph who says that? The thoughts of your mother are not your mother? That's kind of what mindfulness does. It sees like, as if you say, uh, or this person has always been like this. This is how they are. So one thing we know is that there is a, a thinking going on. This is what mindfulness would pick up. Oh, thinking's happening. So there's no judgment, there is interest in mindfulness, and no reactivity, and no expectations. Um, but this being said, it can actually totally include that. So it doesn't mean that we're all like purely going around all the time. It's messy in, in there. It's messy out there too, but in here, it's, I don't know you, maybe I'll talk about me. It's very mess messy in here. But the magic, again, of mindfulness is, is that it can include the mess. It's not like, oh, no judgment, no expectation. You know, it's all clean and it's all woo, ultimate reality everywhere. No, it, it includes all, the, all the, the whole shebang. So it means that when there is a reactivity, it can be included. When there is resistance, it can be included. Sati will see this, know this, experience this, and also will do it in a non-superficial way. That's how it's presented. It's not like, oh yeah, it's not like this. That's mainly how we are usually. But with this presence, this quality of presence, it sinks in. It really wants to know in a more, uh, in a deeper way. Even something that lasts for a second, it wants to know it as fully as it can when it does. It's not interested in getting just the superficial information about it and, and making something out of it. It wants to, to know it. And one image that is used is um, uh, like a wa watermelon underwater. It floats and it goes like, oh, this way, and oh, this way, or a cork does the same thing. And we say mindfulness is like more like a rock, just like whew, uh, sinks down. And you might see this over the days, how it does uh, that. Uh, it also has the quality of accepting, because it's not possible to uh, know something or observe. Sometimes we use a visual language and it's not always that helpful. Feel and know. It's not possible to feel and know something without accepting it, accepting its presence. 
And sometimes like something uh, might get a little tricky in there where we say, but we're going to accept everything and do not. No, no, no. It's, it's just like a, a passage. It's possible to, uh, you say, oh, there's a, here's a situation of abuse. So I'm supposed to accept this? No, I'm supposed to accept that there's abuse right now. And then there's a second piece to it, which is uh, appropriate response. So if there wasn't the second piece, we would be in the, somewhere else, not in the field of wisdom and compassion. We would be in some confused world. So do you see what I mean by accepting that really that allows us to feel something completely? Then what we call appropriate response, response can arise. Also, it's um, uh, mindfulness and presence is empirical, it's embodied, it's experienced. I think everything I've said up to now kind of points to that, just to make it clear for you in your sitting and walking. So when you're thinking about the Dharma, this is a whole other thing. When there is a, either proliferation or... A, discursive thinking, we're a little bit off. With mindfulness, when there is a thinking, you'll see the difference because it, the thinking leads towards the experience. What is this? Herds. Yeah, herds. Hot. There is words here, but they are aiming uh, towards the experience. Yeah. Another aspect that I love and uh, I find very interesting is that when there is uh, this presence of the dharmic nature, we could say, of, uh, of um, this mindfulness as it is presented in the teachings of the Buddha, there is a personal aspect to what is going on. This is my agitation, my anxiety, my pain in the knee, there might be this, but the invitation is really uh, to go in two directions maybe. One would be universal, where I make the move, and this I love this because then it's not just about me, it opens up to this, that's how I think about it a lot, this is what it is to be a human being, this is what it is to be uh, um, a living being, when there is pressure of a certain nature in the feet and tightness and hardness and pulsation. This is in a way my experience, but this gives me access to all other beings because they know materiality in the same way that I experience it directly here. In the same way, if I feel grief, sadness, remorse, shame, joy, enthusiasm, ecstasy, uh, spaciousness. This is more of a mentality 
realm and it's known by other humans. So when there is a lot of uh, anger inside of me and I know how uncomfortable it is, how I would want to do anything for it to go away, I start to understand why somebody feeling a little bit more of that and having a little bit less wisdom maybe could actually lash out on somebody else. Not that I agree with it and condone it, but I can understand the cause and effect. So that's the universal nature of what we're observing. Another way to talk about this is to talk in terms of dhammas. That's how uh, it's... Pre um, here the translation would be phenomena. We are observing uh, phenomena, how it arises, how it feels, how it passes, all the different fluctuations of sensations, perceptions, emotions, moods, uh, thoughts, uh, and everything else as phenomena. So there's something else. It could be too cold for you and seem like clinical, but this is... Uh, certainly uh, in the teaching, that we're observing the, the mechanism of suffering, not my, the way I'm <clears throat> beating myself up, but what is beating oneself up? What is this mechanism? And what is the mechanism of forgiveness, opening to? What is uh, leading uh, towards, uh, what is beneficial The proximate cause of uh, presence is presence, a prior moment of presence. This is very important information. So it means that every time we come back, we're there, we're creating a momentum, we're building something. So it's not an insignificant little thing that is happening. One way that I think of it also is uh, this is uh, the Buddha's uh, gift of independence to us. This is just a tool. It's, it's, a, it's a tool of how to listen and how to receive experience. So there's no beliefs in there. Do you see that? This is amazing. So the Buddha says this is the most amazing qualities of mind, quality of mind, because it, it will give you independence. You won't have to believe anybody that presents something that looks logical or that is appealing or that would make you feel better or that makes you feel like shit. You don't have to do this. You just have to be present, attentive, and then stuff will be revealed. Then entangled disentanglement will happen because this quality is participative. Yeah? It means that it's not just, oh, I saw it. When this comes in, there's a whole new condition that comes in. 
So it means it's going to change the course of what's going on. So it's not just looking at stuff and having no impact whatsoever on what's going on. When I bring attention, awareness to what is going on, the whole big boat is starting to move in a different direction. Stuff is starting to happen. So that's another part of, uh, of this that is very important. Also, it's non-violent. I have a lot to say about this huh? quality. It's non-violent. It's the middle path. It doesn't repress, suppress, oppress, nor express. It just knows. It just opens to. Then there's a lot of possibility around this. And one can start choosing what will be of help and what won't. And what could be cultivated, developed, and what should be abandoned. Yeah. As you progress in the next few days, you might see uh, this um, kind of... Um, okay, I'll make some visual for us because I've been kind of dry in my talk and not many stories. But this, this maybe is fun to look at, is it? <laughs> Somewhat fun to look at. So at the beginning when we practice mindfulness, it's not the perfect uh, thing, but we'll use it anyway. So it's like if we sit in meditation here, imagine it's a just a little bit more round and we keep falling. Is that your experience? You like you sit and you want to be present, but oops, it goes up. It's like it pulls you in the past. It pulls you in the future. It pulls you in who you are in the world and who you wanted to be. And, how much time there's left, <laughs> you know, and what's coming for lunch, and how does it smell like? Is it really spaghetti or might be something else, you know? We keep falling like this. And as we practice, there's this movement that happens where then we start to be in there. And so it's get, getting harder to get out because we've built the momentum. So it doesn't go out so much nice huh? and so uh, because with uh, several moments of mindfulness stuck together what happens is uh, we built uh, what we called momentary concentration there's a type of concentration that comes the unification of the mind that makes the mind uh, kind of stick together so instead of being in kind of diversity and uh, being spread out could be uh, or um, scattered i knew there was so instead of being scattered there's a unification of mind and the mind uh, wants to stay and gets more happy about being there with what is here and so being happy uh, more happy there's more enthusiasm more interest so all the energies are coming up we're supported by a lot of energy when we're enthused by what's going on, what we're seeing, there's a lot of life here that can happen. And you'll, you'll experience this at some point. You might already. Uh, and on the other end, because of the unification of mind, this is just by being attentive, attentive, present again and again. The mind calms down and it gets unified with the body. So it's unified with the present. So instead of having the mind gone somewhere and the body kind of for rent available, you know, it comes back here and uh, it's, it's calming. And uh, um, 
So it's, it's pleasant in itself and it's also uh, as a synergy to it in terms of developing wisdom. So uh, what happens with it is um, when we're present, even the kind of very new and fresh kind of wisdom or, or distant wisdom or thin wisdom that we have, you know, that is not well established in us, when there is presence, it invites it back, it makes it stronger as opposed to a lot of the difficult emotions, those that we call the hindrances uh, that makes our life miserable, the, the function of these is to remove any bit of wisdom. So when there is ill will, hatred, kind of a very clingy kind of desire for something else, you know, then the wisdom that was already available in us is kind of sucked out. And we're, uh, what is it's replaced by with the hindrances? With wrong perception, wrong consideration. And so the world becomes a little distorted. Wisdom is gone. And it's, that's why it's painful. So mindfulness does exactly the opposite. Presence is calling wisdom back, inviting it, developing it. So instead of being caught in this kind of uh, cycle of uh, greed and aversion and confusion and all this, we kind of move out to observe it, know it, see the cycle. So you see that even in the, the beginning of observing aversion, resistance, there's already a diffusion from it. We're not in it uh, like in the washing machine or the dryer. You know, you're, ooh, oh God, there's a lot of vegetation here. Whoa, or the mind is so slack, so foggy. It's already uh, something that can be observed. So we're out of the wheel in a way. So one time, uh, some of you have been before when there was the red carpet does some of you remember this it used to be really funky in here like very uh, 70s huh? and uh, there was a red carpet the stage was lower and going like up to this maybe the second row there and I was sitting right there on the retreat and the teacher who was sitting here was talking like I do and and I was feeling maybe like some of you might be feeling <laughs> So she, she was talking and talking, and she was probably in her second hour of Dharma talk. And I was, uh, I was sitting there and having all kinds of thoughts and opinions about the length of a talk, the subjects of a talk, the importance of personal funny stories in the talk, and, and all this. And I was getting really, really agitated, and, and it was going on and on and on. And at some point, I was so irritated, I decided to leave the hall but because there was very little sati around and the wisdom had been really like 
sucked out. <laughs> I had not noticed that my legs had fallen completely asleep. <laughs> so the teacher was talking and I'm sitting there and I stand up to leave and I fall, as soon as I stand up, I fall right on my face, on my face, on this little stage about this first step, <laughs> right on the red carpet, you know, <laughs> this was wood or, or tiles over there. And I went like this, my whole body went like this, bang! And my jaw went like this, bang! And uh, then she, she says, what, what's, what's going on? <laughs> You're all right? So I'm there in the middle of a Dharma talk, like spread out completely. <laughs> and I had gotten so irritated that it, the sound, sound sounded like really high, like really loud. So I was saying, so she said, she said are you all right? And I'm like, I started saying, it's too loud, it's too loud. As I was trying to move, but couldn't because I, I was dead. So I was kind of, not dead, my legs were. And I was crawling out of the hall. And so instead of uh, bringing, you know, mindfulness, as, it, in it, as I was saying, in its wake, it brings, you know, like, patience and understanding and energy and enthusiasm like in the wake of my uh, delusion I was bringing on me shame <laughs> desire to strong desire to disappear and uh, and actually like maybe by this time I was on my fours and by here and oh and by and the teacher said is it too loud and everybody went like <laughs> So, um, so this is the, the power of aversion where it can uh, lead us. So if we can catch this at some point before maybe writing the note to another yogi, the loving note with sign metta about how much noise you make, <laughs> if we can catch ourselves uh, doing this, this is with aversion, uh, with uh, greed or desire. Uh, what's the story I had in mind? Oh, I remember also one time, I, okay, these six minutes of, uh, of s s shameful stories on moi. So one time I was sitting a, a long retreat here and every day I would come out, take a few seeds and wanted to uh, feed the chip chipmunks. So they started coming where I would put the seed, put the seeds uh, closer. And then, I, and I was doing this also with the chickadees. So I was very busy. <laughs> and uh, lots of desire for connection, I guess, <laughs> the silence. So then I started putting the seeds on my finger. They would come on, they would come on. And the desire, the nature of desire is that it's, it's, it cannot be satisfied. It's just something you train, desire to have more. So at some point you would think the guy should be happy. The chipmunk is in his hands. But then I would lift the hand and then I could actually lift the hand. He would stay for a while and then put it down. Then I started coming like really <laughs> strong. And it, it, I think I was, by, by that point I was here with the, with the, the chipmunk, you know, with him eating, uh, it, eating the little seeds. When I realized there was too strong desire going on, and I was like, I wonder how it's going to finish, and you know, I'm going to probably put the seeds on my mouth, you know, or, <laughs> like, this is crazy, but this is desire, like, I wanted just a little bit more, higher, longer, closer, you know, 
And I was doing the same with the chickadees. I had sit here and I would put like seeds here so they would come on the on this and like and and, and but the, the, there was no happiness in there. There was just craving for more, for more. So actually for me it was it was very wisdom building. So I, now I have no shame of telling this story because I learned a lot from it. That desire doesn't stop, not in me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, until mindfulness kicks in, and, and, and mindfulness comes with discernment and, and curiosity, interest. What is going on? I'm never going to be satisfied with the uh, chickadee and chipmunk feeding. It's, it cannot satisfy me. Yeah? I know a yogi. Of course I won't tell the name even if you squeeze my arm and torture me. But so this, this yogi was on a long retreat here and um, there was only showers and they wanted a bath for a long time. And they found their way, I don't know how, in the basement behind the washing machine and stuff. Then they found this big barrel, kind of a blue plastic barrel. And they decided to bring it secretly during the night in the showers to take a bath because they thought they would fit in it. <laughs> this is all happening here. And so this, this by the way, is, might be another story like the others that I talk about. We call it yogi mind. Sometimes we get, because there's so little stimulation, we hook up, hook on some idea. And sometimes it's a vipassana romance. You know, you think my mate is here. You know, my love, my soul mate is, this is this person. And, you get totally like me and her, and, and you know, and then you even divorce during the retreat and make up again, and it, it can get the mind can get like this. This is the nature of desire and aversion. And we have also vipassana vendetta, like the one person that does everything wrong. Like you watch them, they're really like your primary object of meditation, and you watch them, and everything they do is off. It's just unbelievable that this person is here. Yeah. Anyway, back to the barrel before I have to ring the bell. So the barrel made its way in the shower. The hot water cleaned the barrel, uh, entered the barrel and gets got stuck in it. <laughs> so this is just to convince you of the importance of uh, mindfulness. It does kick in at some point, especially if there's, there has been prior moments of mindfulness before. <laughs> this being said, and because it's coming to an end, I'll just uh, mention these. I, I talked a little bit about these hindrances. So there's five classic hindrances. Uh, it's agitation, too much energy, uh, sleepiness or torpor, sloth and torpor, where there's too little energy, we're unable to meet the moment. These energies, these forces we meet in life, that's what keep us from being connected, intimate, close to life. And so when there's too little energy, when there's too much energy, when there's a need, desire for something else, something completely else, like being somewhere else, you might have thought that today, or being, uh, uh, having s just some 
this quality of mind being just a little bit more present. Yeah? So this leaning forward. And the other one is uh, the resistance to what is here. Uh, exploded form is like anger. It starts with like slight irritate. Okay, but you know, you know that starts, it's going to be very subtle like this. And then to out, outrageous, murderous rage. <laughs> yeah. That's the exploded form. The imploded form of resistance is uh, maybe uh, fear, depression, uh, and uh, and then the one that uh, the fifth one would be doubt, not being too sure, doubting oneself, doubting the teacher, doubting the teaching, doubting the Buddha, doubting what to do next. Should, should I do breath at the nostril? Or you know, hand touching, hand touching. <laughs> you know, and so these, these can be completely included in our mindfulness. We can be aware of them. So we start by recognizing their presence and then allowing them to be there, to be known, to have their own, their presence and connect with them and bring interest what is this? And when I talk about interest, like the first step is always physicality because it's so tangible. So if there is agitation, let me feel it. If there is restlessness, where do I feel it? But come back to the body. If there is fear, if there is anger, this is what we do. We start always by bringing the attention in the body to know this, hang out with this for a little while. And then the... Um, uh, diffusion or disidentification. These five and all the other difficult emotion are not, this is in the spirit of the Dhamma, they're not mine, they're not yours. It's not, I'm so angry, I've always been angry, I'm so confused. There is confusion. Confusion is here. It's not a denial of it, it's a, it's a recognition of its presence not being fused with it. This is way too complex if it's me. By the way, and it's not. Because confusion was there at the time of the Buddha. You read it everywhere. Not from him, though. He was good with it. But from uh, people who were talking to him, fear, anxiety uh, were there. They come when the conditions are right. The Buddha said the mind is naturally luminous and clear. It's because of the visiting forces that we suffer and it's uh, tormenting us. So they're not what we are. And so that's very important to remember this in practice. This is not me. It's clearly there, but not moi. Yeah? That's many words. I hope there was a few in there that uh, will uh, lead you onwards on the path. And uh, as the Buddha would say, ehi pasiko, see for yourself. Mindfulness is the gift of independence. Use it. See for yourself what fits in there and what doesn't fit. Yeah. So let's sit just for a second uh, or two.
May the presence that we bring to uh, all moments that we remember lead us towards uh, wisdom and compassion so that we can be a, a friend to ourselves and all beings everywhere. <laughs>